0: Welcome to Battered Aggie Syndrome podcast all about Aggie football. And uh, it's taken our fifth episode to uh, get to where we have lost the game, which obviously we're not happy about that. But um, anyway, we'll get to show everybody what Battered Aggie Syndrome is all about.
1: Yes, looking forward to it.
0: Um, And before we get into it, I was going to ask, what does uh, what does battered Aggie syndrome mean to you, Brian?
1: Well, battered Aggie syndrome is essentially, um, you know, the, the team gets your hopes up and you get on a high and you're ready to roll and think you're, you know, invincible and everything's going to go right from here on out. And then, um, yeah, the team lets you down in the in the uh, in any way possible. That always seems to be the most ridiculous ways possible.
0: I always liken it to, you know, getting your heart broken by a high school girlfriend. Which, I guess we don't really know what that's like, because we married our high school girlfriend. So, I guess that's maybe not a good Yeah, analogy. It's not relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it just hurts. It hurts. And you get excited year after year. and. My dad going to A&M and graduating in, um, 81, I was all excited about Jimbo coming here. <laughs> he was like, it's not going to be any different than it has in years past. He's like, I've seen this for 40 plus years. And he said, we won't get a national championship. It's just what it is. And I think he's had battered Aggie syndrome since before it was cool.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, even thinking about the this season earlier in the season, right? Um, when we lost to uh, you know Mississippi State, you know we were pretty down, uh, and basically yeah. had written off the season and said we're not going to you know invest any any more time into the Aggies because they just let us down. And it's disappointing, and uh, yeah, the next week they uh, they beat Alabama, and here we are back on the train with their hopes up, and then uh, five weeks later
0: here we are. We're, we get we get our hopes dashed again, and yeah. this year. So if we beat LSU in a couple of weeks, which I know everybody's saying, don't overlook Prairie View A&M, but that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. We're just going to go ahead and look over. Um, so if we beat LSU and we go nine and three and going back to a couple episodes ago, uh, you made a good point that if we beat Arkansas or sorry, Alabama, Auburn and LSU, we beat those three teams every year we should have a pretty good shot to do whatever we want to do and that's still out in front of us but if we beat lsu this year is this still considered a disappointing season or i mean what do you think
1: i think because of who we lost to um i think it is a disappointing season um there's really um You know, we, we, we should have, you know, been able to, to win every single one of the games we've been in. I think the ones that we you know, thought we didn't have a chance at was Alabama and somehow they pulled that off. Yet the week before they looked miserable against, uh, Mississippi State. And then, um, you know, the last couple of weeks against South Carolina and Auburn, they, they looked great. And then they come into Ole Miss and they just look this poor again. So I think it's just the inconsistency that's, uh, causing it to not be a great season.
0: And I don't know what the deal or the voodoo is behind the Mississippi teams, but seems like there's something there. Cause, I mean, you look at Full Miss and Mississippi State, they've got just very few four-star guys and a ton of three-star guys. We've got much better talent across the board, and um we still can't get over the hump. I, I don't know what the deal is, but I heard earlier today that Somebody said that LSU is taking a good hard look at Lane Kiffin, and that's a little terrifying to think about. If he has the talent that they can harvest at, at LSU, and uh, have his scheme with that kind of talent, that's that's terrifying.
1: It is terrifying, and I think you know something we were talking about on Saturday is you know what is it with these teams that we just have fits with? And if you look at it from the defensive perspective, they're all running an odd defense. I think if those teams were able yes. to get the top talent, then they wouldn't be running 3-3-5 and they'd be running something more conventional. And for whatever reason, the you know, offensive mastermind that Jimbo is figured out how to, uh, attack the <laughs> 3-3-5. So I, it's just that weird defense with lesser skill position players that we struggle with.
0: Wasn't, um, Jerry Patterson the one who came up with that 3-3-5? I feel like I remember TCU and, um, West Virginia being the only two schools that I saw with that defense for a long time, but yes, um, everybody's figured out that's the defense trying against jimbo
1: yep they they just have trouble with it, like I think our offensive linemen can you know block if they knew who to block, but when they get that 3 three five and you got the guy in the center, and then those two ends are so far out that <laughs> yeah. uh they can't get out there to block them and then uh, the linebackers are able to read whether it's a run or a, a pass because we basically don't have a play action. It's just this, you know, RPO, which, um, you know, did work on a couple plays on Saturday, but for the most part, it was ineffective. Like, if the linebackers thought it was a run, they ran up, stuffed the holes, and it was basically six against five. Um, if they thought it was a pass, then they dropped back. And, you know, Calzada can't, uh, can't, can't beat, uh, eight
0: men back. So. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what the deal was with running the football because, um, you know, Spiller, he averaged, I've got it right here. He averaged, so okay. So he had 15 carries for 41 yards, so he averaged 2.7 yards a carry. A-Chain had 110 yards rushing on 12 carries, so 9.2 yards a carry. And he had two touchdowns too, which a couple of things talking about this one. Well, I'll ask the question first and then I'll go to the next one, but what was it about a change running style? Obviously he's faster than Spiller, but what do you think it was about his running style that was so much more effective against them?
1: Well, I, and I don't know if it's normally this way, but it just seemed like Spiller was, was off this weekend. Uh, he, uh, you know normally Mm -hmm. hits a hole and goes with it but he was a lot more indecisive where he was making cuts in the backfield i mean the safety play is a a prime example of that i I don't ever remember a time where he didn't get into a hole and then decide to make a jump cut on that play he made a jump cut in the end zone and there was nowhere to go after that so i'm not so sure it was so much his running style as as much as for whatever reason he was indecisive and uh almost looking like he was scared, like he didn't want to go into the hole because
0: whatever reason. I went back, and I watched a little bit of the second half, and it seems to me like those defensive linemen, they weren't doing a whole lot except all the movement just really messes up our offensive line guys in terms of knowing who they should block. But the other thing, having smaller, faster guys in there, they were just kind of shooting those gaps as mm-hmm. much as they could and you have people shooting these gaps from everywhere. And Spiller's kind of used to offensive line kind of pushing everybody up two or three yards. He kind of gets to dance back there and figure out what he wants to do, and then hit it. Whereas A-Chain is like, okay, here's a crease, hit it, he's gone. And he could get away from those faster guys. And it's almost like, the more he saw them darting in, the more he was like, okay, as soon as I see that crease, I'm taking off. To me, I think that's why he was so much better. Um, And then, too, Miller obviously hurt his ankle in the Auburn game, and that had to be part of his issue for this game, too.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know what it was, but I think it was obvious to everybody but Jimbo, because when, you know... When it was a critical situation, he continued to put Spiller in there, even though Spiller had been ineffective. I mean, the numbers you you quoted at you know two point seven yards of play versus nine point two or whatever it was is, hey, I want the nine point two in the game when it when it matters most, and uh, those were the drives <laughs> that that Spiller was in the in the game. And it, it'd be interesting if you went back and went drive by drive, who the running back in was, because uh, Jimbo he doesn't switch back and forth in a drive. It's basically this is spiller's drive this is a chain's drive and it's usually spiller gets the first two and then he'll rotate a chain in and then it's back and forth that's what i've noticed yeah. from this pattern it'd be interesting to look at each of those drives and the end result between a chain and spiller and i think you would you know probably find that every drive that a chain was in uh, we, we were scored. much more successful yeah
0: um four of the scoring drives in the game all in the second half, obviously, for us. Three of those drives had A-Chain in there. Only the first one, when we came out in the third quarter, had um Spiller in there. But he only got the ball maybe once or twice that whole drive. We still only got a field goal out of it. But the only two touchdown drives, we had A-Chain in there. So, I mean, we were talking about it during the game, put A-Chain in the day game. I don't know why, but it's not Spiller's game. And I know Jimbo is loyal, and he's also, and he said in the press conference after the game, well, we always rotate the two guys and that's just what we do, and it's worked for us. And he told one reporter, he said, Spiller's a 3,000-yard back. We're not just going to go away from him. He's our guy. And I thought, yeah, I, I understand all those points, but Still, you're trying to win a dang football game. And I'm not even going into the analytics or anything, but just the eye test. You could watch it and you're like, yeah, A Chain's going to get almost nine yards of carry every time he gets the ball. And um, I just don't understand what the, especially the coaches up in the box, what they weren't seeing or if they were telling Jimbo and Jimbo was just obstinate. But that was just maddening to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. You know, loyal to a fault because, I mean, you get what he's saying that, you know, he's been our, our, uh, you know, workhorse for so long that we're not just going to go away from him. But I think when you see that it's, uh, not his game, I don't think Spiller's going to be offended when you say, hey, hey, we're going to put a chain in because he's having, you know, he's having better luck today.
0: Yeah, Spiller's definitely a team guy. And one of the reasons I know that Spiller was, had to be injured is because, you saw him kind of have that kind of a performance against Tennessee late last year and then in the Orange Bowl, too, which didn't we find out he had like a broken bone on his foot or something? I
1: don't remember what it was, but um, but yeah, when they handed it over to a in the Orange Bowl, what did he do? Took it to the
0: house. He went
1: off, won the MVP.
0: Yeah. What was that uh, saying whenever we go to Austin to visit our good friend Robbie? Kirby Lanes is off the
1: chain? Yeah, Kirby Lanes is off the chain.
0: A-Chain is off the chain?
1: (laughs) A-Chain is off the chain, that's for sure.
0: So, kind of staying in the same uh, area in the offense, (laughs) what did you think about um, Calzada and his play?
1: Man, it's the same stuff we've been talking about. Like, he has the happy feet, and when he has the happy feet, he's going to miss. So, on the ball to uh, Demas, you know, it was high because yeah. he was dancing back there. Um and again Demas probably could have caught it, but you know, eventually you make that many off throws and uh you know, it's going to come back to bite you. And then the ball to I don't remember who he was throwing to. Oh, it was uh Annice Smith on the pick 6. I mean, he just totally missed that. He threw it so far inside that yeah. you know, Annice Smith had no chance. And and again, he was his feet were dancing, they weren't set. He did have some nice throws. There was that like, one ball that Demas dropped in the end zone, that was a very nice ball. Um so he does have the ability obviously, but um he just gets those happy feet and then he gets he gets crazy with his arm. What's
0: that what's that arcade game, um where you're dancing on the thing and it's got the arrows. Uh, dance
1: Dance Revolution?
0: Yes. Yeah. Calzado looks like he's back there behind the line playing Dance Dance Revolution and trying to get his feet set for .28 seconds. To throw a ball straight, and you just can't do that, i guess the uh, next couple of games we'll have to watch for that, but I <laughs> really call him d d r dance dance Revolution.
1: yeah, that's a good name for him d d r yeah i mean those... he again I, I, there was some there was some times that his receivers didn't help him out, but you know he uh he also didn't help them out by putting the ball in the in the best position for them, so yeah, he's definitely yeah. got a lot of improvement
0: i was Yeah, there there wasn't a whole lot that I liked about the game. Calzada, and obviously whenever he knows his back is against the wall, he can come out and play, which that's a special quality that not all players have. But he needs to figure out how, if if they're not starting out well and he's not doing well, what he needs to do to get them going. And I think if you have a quarterback that can run even just a little bit, that kind of gives you that spark. And I swear those guys just kind of settle down a little bit once they get that first hit. Obviously we have a walk on quarterback behind him, so we can't, can't have him going out there getting hit. But anyway, I yeah. I think that if we had Haynes King in there, it would be a completely different ball game just because he runs like a four, forty.
1: Yeah. I mean, as we were talking about, you know, I'd, Haynes hasn't done anything yet. So, you know, we're all hopeful that, that it would be a better situation. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to bet the, bet anything on that. Um, cause he could, you know, have his own pitfalls. Um, yeah, we'll just have to, to see what happens there.
0: So one of the narratives that had been out there, obviously before this uh, losing effort was if Calzada is undefeated the rest of the way. And we go eleven and two this year, including a bowl win. And Haynes gets back healthy. Who, you know, do you stick with Calzada, who has a whole year of SEC experience? You have another quarterback competition, and then you've also got a five-star guy coming in. He's going to enroll in January, Connor Wegman. Wegman, don't know how you say the last name, but um, anyway, Connor Wegman. And you got to think. And he's the number two quarterback in the country right now behind, uh, that Kate Klubnik. or Klubnik, however you say his name, who's out of Austin Westlake. He's committed to, uh, Clemson. But, um anyway, that's, that's a big deal right there, having Haynes back healthy and then also this true freshman coming in. So you just wonder how that's going to go. What, uh, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: And I honestly have no idea how it's going to go. I, I I don't think uh, Calzada's. You know, obviously he's uh, he's got a lot of heart. And that's a, appears to be what Jimbo appreciates about him, and he's got a strong arm. But um, the inaccuracy, you know, you know, kills you. Um, yeah, it just it seems like the only time he starts getting it in a rhythm is when it's like you mentioned, his backs up against the wall, which is not a good position to be in. We'd really like to start out hot you know, kind of cruise from there as opposed to get down and then try to come back. That's never a good recipe, especially for our setup where we're, you know, supposed to be kind of a balanced team between run and pass. And once you get behind here, you kind of have to abandon the the run a little bit and rely on the uh, pass more. So
0: sometimes
1: yeah, I was going to say, you know, what you mentioned about um, letting him run to kind of get him into the game. Something I was telling you on Saturday is I don't understand why there aren't more these quick, um, you know, high percentage passes just to get him into a rhythm. The little, you know, uh, timing routes or a little a screen out to the flat, uh, that sort of thing, just to get him into some sort of rhythm would, would, you know, I think benefit him. But for whatever reason, Jimbo's got these plays that take eight, eight seconds to develop and that <laughs> it does not help his dance, dance revolution tendencies. So, uh, I think Jimbo could do a better job of calling some plays to help get him into a rhythm. Um,
0: definitely agree with that. and I think if you go back and look at a lot of Jimbo's teams, even whenever he was offensive coordinator for LSU, he really likes having a quarterback who's a dual threat and run and pass. When he's been forced to play guys that are strictly pass-only, I don't think he does so great. So I think Haynes King would definitely help us out in that category. and If you have somebody who can scramble and allow that eight-second you know, route Tree to develop, <laughs> maybe you can hit some of those deeper throws.
1: It's hard to imagine it could get worse than, than what we saw on Saturday. So, yeah.
0: One of the other things, so talking about the receivers, I don't, Jalen probably was good for a drop or two. Wiedemeyer, Wiedemeyer. Did you notice if he had any? I don't remember anything
1: specific. So, no, I don't really, I don't remember a drop or I don't even really remember a. I do remember a couple catches, but nothing, you know, remarkable.
0: The one bright spot I saw in that game on offense, which, let me back up. So Spiller, he had three catches for seven yards, and A-Chain didn't have a single catch. Which, to me, that's just ludicrous to not get A-Chain the ball. Obviously, Calzada can't throw those little swing passes to the running backs, but you would think something like that would be perfect.
1: Absolutely. The same with Anais, a little bubble screen to
0: the inside. We don't seem to have that in our playbook. So talking about the uh, receivers, I was glad to see Demas get as involved in the passing game as he was. You know, he had eight targets. That's probably as much as he had in the last three games combined.
1: He he looked good except for that one play where the ball was high and he, uh, you know, tipped it up to the defender.
0: He also... um, He also dropped a touchdown pass, too. A very nice
1: throw by Calzada, yes. He was uh, right in his arms. And I know that on the TV they were commenting that the the defender broke it up, but it didn't look like he broke it up to me. It looked like he just
0: dropped it. Yeah, he he hit his hands, and he didn't grab it then. And it's almost like he tried to bring it to his head, to his helmet, to help catch it. Who was that New York Giants receiver in the Super Bowl a few years back against Patriots, where he caught it on his helmet, David Tyree or something.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds right, David Tyree.
0: It reminded me of that. You like, cannot catch the ball with your helmet. Quit trying to do that. And then, I mean, to, um,
1: to me, I haven't been impressed by any of the receivers this year. There just hasn't been anything, you know, great. So,
0: so there's a kid right now named Evan Stewart. Have you heard of him? No. He's, he's out of Frisco, depending on what service you look at. He might be the number three to the number eight recruit in the country. And um, he's been a pretty solid, uh, he hasn't committed yet, but he's been leaning towards E T In the last couple of weeks, he's come to visit A&M. And now it's kind of 50-50 if you look at a lot of those crystal ball predictions. But they're comparing him, he's only like six feet tall, but they're comparing him to Christian Kirk, that type of guy who has Devin H Chain type speed. So somebody like that can really help us out a lot. Uh, Which I know we'll talk about UT here after a little bit. but um Anyway, it, it would be nice to get a guy like that. And Demas, he didn't, I don't believe he played his senior year of high school because of transferring. And then he was hurt his, his freshman year, so he really hasn't played football in a couple of years, and Obviously, taken him a while to get back into it.
1: You know, hopefully, uh, you know another quarterback can help get that group, you know, a few more
0: uh, touches. So and so, going to um, let's talk about the defense for a second. Well, before before we do that, let me ask you, what grade would you give A and M as a whole, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, you know, what grade would you give? The offense individually, defense individually, and then the coaching individually. Overall's
1: probably a C. Offense gets a D. I think the defense gets. uh, I know we'll get into the specifics here. I really don't think they did that bad. I think they held up quite commendable given the the fact that they were just three and out and then had to deal with that high tempo offense. So I give them a B plus. Uh, Coaching, I'd give.
0: Let's see. I I agree. I think I'm the exact same across the board there. I think the only difference I would say is I was gonna give the uh defense probably just a B just a straight B, not a B minus or B plus. But um this the second half let's see, I've got those notes too. The second half they had like eighty something yards. And really, the only points they gave up was two touchdowns off of the interception. One was a pick six and the other one was picked at the 14 yard line and they did two plays and Snoop Connor was in the end zone.
1: That's what I was going to say is, you know, they scored 29 points, but if you take out the safety, the pick six, that's nine. So the defense gave up 20 and then of that 20 remaining, seven of it was given up at the 14. Take that out and you're down to uh, 13 points, giving up 13 points yeah. to Ole Miss. I think that's you know that's pretty impressive. good, pretty good effort. And I know you know Ole Miss took a bunch of chances that took you know points off the board. I get that, but uh, still, I think you know the defense did give up a lot of yards, but they did you know the bend but don't break. Um, you know that goal line stand was pretty impressive. Unfortunately, their result you know what they got rewarded was a safety, and then get right back on the field one play later.
0: That, the defense, they forced, uh, two turnovers in the red zone. One fumble we got, one fumble Matt Corral ran back and got, but they put them way behind the chains. They were out of field goal position at that point, so they didn't get any points there. And then we had the, um, fourth down stop at the goal line, which that's a pretty big deal against the Lane Kiffin team to condense everything and stop them there. And they had to settle for two field goals when they were driving in the first half. And given the field goals, those other three stops when they were driving, I mean, this game, the score probably should have been more like 35 or 42 to nothing at halftime.
1: Yeah, we really shouldn't have been in it. But again, the defense, you know, stepped up when they needed to. And, uh, you know, unfortunately the offense couldn't, yeah, couldn't get it together to, to help them out any.
0: I mean, Ole Miss, they had over 400 yards of total offense after the first half and we held them to under 100 in the second half. I mean, that's crazy. That's just, I don't know if it says that our guys weren't ready to play when they got off the bus, or if we just do a masterful job of uh in-game adjustments, but it seems like they need to get figured out sooner rather than <laughs> in the second half. Can't wait, especially in the SEC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it didn't seem like they were prepared for that, and you know, it wasn't like Old Miss came out with anything new. This is what they've been playing all year, um, so no excuse. Yeah. But they did did finally pull it together, and that's why again I didn't want to give them an A, but they did play pretty well considering the circumstances.
0: Yeah, and then so the third quarter was probably our best quarter. We had three scoring, oh, no, sorry, two scoring drives out of three drives in the third quarter and then um we scored a field goal on the first drive of the fourth quarter so i mean it was it was 13 to 15 there was what like 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter and you know the difference at that point was the freaking safety so just little things here and there just killing Uh uh those little inches
1: well, if you remember, it was the safety that killed
0: us in the uh, Mississippi State game as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was the final score, 26-22 or something?
1: It was, but, I mean, it was basically that safety that, that iced the game for them. So, yeah, it's it's the little stuff, and again, there was really no excuse for Spiller to, you know, jump cut like he did. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got to get out of the end zone, number one, and then against Mississippi State, uh, <laughs> Alzada had a case of the Bo Nix where he just kept running backwards and backwards only in, you know, his situation when he does that, he falls down. Uh, Bo Nix seems to be able to stay on his feet and maybe perhaps uh, find an ability to, in somebody opening and hit him.
0: Yeah. And then, so we were also talking about last, last week, maybe the week before that, you know, the defense is getting better because your linebackers are leading in tackles. Well, let me read you the top five uh tacklers on the team. Leon O'Neal, 10 tackles, number mm-hmm. one, safety. Edgeron Cooper with nine tackles, and Damani Richardson with nine tackles. Um, we're both tied, which Cooper is linebacker, well, but Richardson, Richardson is a safety. Yeah. Tyree, Phil Show, eight tackles, and then Antonio Johnson and Nickelback with seven tackles. That's, I mean, that's Coach Fran's defense right there is what that is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say watching that, the linebackers were, they were impacted heavily by the play action. That play action was, um, was killing
0: them. Talking about Jimbo and his play calling, we can't seem to do things like run a deep post. We don't seem like we can run go routes and. I don't know, I'm just, I feel like it's pretty vanilla. And I heard somebody say during the first half of the year that the coaching staff does a lot of uh, self-scouting, but it seems like they need to do a lot more. And, or maybe Jimbo needs to leave the play calling to somebody else, which I didn't know, but Lane Kiffin, he has an offensive coordinator who calls most of them. I guess he just calls a few here and there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is... It is shocking that, uh, we can't seem to, to find a play to go deep at all. Like we were talking about, their, uh, corner was jumping that, uh, that out to, uh, to Demas, and it seemed like it was prime for, a uh, an out and go, uh, but it didn't yeah. have
0: it. Yeah, that's for sure. I think, so I watched Jimbo's press conferences, both the one after the game and the one on Monday, and also watched some of the player press conferences conferences too, which I know these guys are 19, 20, 21 years old, but good grief, it is hard to listen to them sometimes, <laughs> and the um, the words that they come up with or that they use in a false or a context that's not right, but um, I think one of my favorites has to be uh, talking about being amphibious compared, to, instead of being ambidextrous. Have you heard anybody say that?
1: No, I can't say. I've heard anybody tell somebody else that they're amphibious when they mean ambidextrous.
0: <laughs> and then um, one of the other ones I was noticing is they seem to put two, you probably know where I'm going with this, they seem to put two words hysterical and ecstatic together.
1: And Hystatic. they'll
0: say, I yeah, ecstatic. Exactly. And you just watch you're gonna start hearing them say that, but I guess guess we should be ecstatic that we have a chance to get nine wins with a backup photograph.
1: Hey, well, you know, you know the dictionary now. They when when words like that get popular, they'll go ahead and add it to the dictionary. So you don't know that it actually hasn't been added. Um That's so true. <laughs> you may be the uh, the idiot here.
0: Does uh does it have to be added? is it added in webster's dictionary or the urban dictionary
1: no webster's dictionary
0: oh webster's
1: they add so words legit. every year yeah so i think they yeah they they take a poll of what's what's hot in the streets and uh, they decide to vote <laughs> on that whether it needs to be added or not
0: it's too funny yeah i um and then i think another word which a lot of people say this is irregardless. And my wife brought that to my attention, um which there's no word. It's irregardless. It's either irrespective or regardless.
1: I, I think I actually did see a note that, that they may have actually added that to the dictionary. I'm going to look that up Are right you now. Are you serious?
0: Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, that is so crazy. One of the other things I was going to say, uh, obviously some of the, those words drive me crazy, but... um I can't stand the fact that everybody, no matter who it is, says at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we got XYZ. At the end of the day, it comes down to, and why don't people just say, ultimately, ultimately, we need to blank.
1: One second. I, I have to read from... Uh, Marion Webber- webster Dictionary, it says, uh, frequently asked questions about irregardless. Is irregardless a word? Yes, it may not be a word that you like or a word that you would use in a term paper, but irregardless certainly is a word. It has been in use for well over 200 years. Oh, wow. Employed by a large number of people across a wide geographic range and with, it, with a
0: consistent meeting, meaning. Interesting. So, there you go. Well, I guess uh Webster proved us wrong. Yes, sorry I got distracted there for a minute. No, no, that's that's good. Did you look up the uh, hystatic? Of course my spelling might be off. I spelled it H Y S C T A T I C One of the uh, while you're looking that up, one of the other things I was going to mention is I'm not going to talk about the players press conference anymore. But, oh, go ahead.
1: It's it's in the Urban Dictionary, but not in the Merriam-Webster. So I think that is still a slang word, not not quite. Uh, yeah. What
0: what is the uh, definition in the Urban Dictionary? That should be interesting.
1: Uh, To be ecstatic means to be overjoyed that you have now become a combination of the words hysterical and ecstatic.
0: (laughs) When the Jersey
1: Shore producers ask Dina to define it, she replies ecstatic. It's, you know, when you're like super happy and you like really happy.
0: Oh gosh. Jersey Shore. Yeah, so
1: there you go. They're they're using uh, the Jersey Shore as a reference on Urban Dictionary. So, you know, it's a Really good word,
0: which I think I asked you when we were in uh, college station for the South Carolina game. Have you been watching any more of the uh Jersey Shore family vacation?
1: Um, we haven't seen them in a while. I think
0: they've
1: huh? they've they've run their course there' there's not really any new uh new content to be to be had there. They basically just yeah. make up
0: drama, yeah, I um. I have to admit, I I love me some Jersey Shore. I'll watch some of the uh, first couple episodes or seasons every now and then. And it's one of those deals where I know it's not good for me, but it's uh, it's kind of like junk food. You know, it's not good for you, but you still want to consume it. So <laughs> that's my my uh, reveal there of myself.
1: Big reveal in episode five.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um I gotta love uh gotta love Polly D with his Yeah buddy. Need a catchphrase. Do you have a catchphrase? Don't
1: have a catchphrase, sorry.
0: I think your catchphrase when we were in college is probably um uh, if I asked you a question, a yes or no question, <laughs> you always said sure. Sure.
1: I'm not sure that's a catchphrase though.
0: You're very noncommittal. Non-committal like is the right. I was thinking, Brian, it's either a yes or a no. It's not a sure.
1: Yeah, and now so, it annoys me when, uh, when my son says it to me.
0: <laughs> Which one says it to you? The middle one. The middle one? Yeah. Um, so getting back to the press conference, Jimbo said something interesting when he was talking about his quarterback play. He said he'd rather have a guy that you need to tell him, you know, kind of like a horse. you would rather have somebody that you have to tell him, whoa, versus giddy up. And I think what he means by that is he wants somebody with that confidence just built in that he has to kind of rein it in a little bit, as opposed to building the confidence brick by brick. Um, which it's funny. That reminds me of, uh, my first Golden Retriever, Patton, had a big old blockhead, such a strong, powerful dog, 100 pounds, and I definitely had to rein him in, but then our current Golden Retriever, George, he is scared of everything, and I definitely have to try to build his confidence. I'm not very good at it, but uh, anyway, I thought that that was pretty funny. I've, I've known that concept, and I've thought of that, but I... I had never heard it put so eloquently. I want a guy that's a woe guy versus a giddy up guy and then did you hear the the narrative out there that um the whole coaching search for l s u and Cambobian link to l s u that that's back again?
1: yeah, I was saying some uh, some stories about that which i I think is interesting because uh Nothing's really changed, so I'm, I'm not sure, you know, why we keep circling back to the same, the same stories. But uh, I did see what uh, Jimbo had to say in his press conference yesterday, and uh, you know, even even before he made those comments, I wasn't, you know, overly concerned there. But uh, <laughs> yeah. all the names you hear are, you know, crazy. I mean, they're talking Deion Sanders at TCU, which seems like the wildest thing you've ever heard of. That does yeah. not seem like a good fit in any
0: yeah.
1: anyway um so it it's it's hard to well it's that's true of anything you hear in the media. It's hard to believe anything you hear these days. It just seems like they are sensationalist and uh, out there to sell um you know basically hits on their website so
0: so it's funny I know we've talked about the whole Jimbo fisher coaching deal um and l s u but one of the things that I didn't mention that I meant to in previous episodes is, um, everybody talks about Florida State being a better job than Texas A&M. Well, actually, they, um, they, they really wouldn't let Jimbo hire guys that he wanted to. And, uh, they made him, you know, get approval before he hired a coach. He didn't have a big budget to hire guys. And, um, and then also the administration just wasn't very uh, helpful or supportive, which that's definitely not the case now. So that's a big deal that people don't know about that is going on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think it, it made sense when uh, when he came from Florida State to A and M, but uh, I think uh, all that stuff that brought him to A and M, I think LSU also has to offer. So.
0: Um, yeah, uh, I liked what he said about how um, he'd have to be the dumbest human being on earth to recruit all these guys to Texas A&M so he can basically go across the, uh, the Sabine River and play against them at LSU.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's right. He's probably going to end up having one of the best recruiting classes this year. Um,
0: and he, so. he almost let that slip. He, he almost said, um, well... <laughs> We're going to have a number one recruiting class. And then he corrected himself. One of the better ones in a long time. He he also corrected when he said he had ranches. Uh, he only has one ranch in Texas. He has one in West Virginia, which is their family farm. And he bought some more acres. And um so they have more space for their cows. But he only has one ranch in Texas.
1: Well, I'm sure we can we can fix that if if you really wanted to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's true. So one of the other things too is Tim Brando, which isn't he a CBS guy, something like that? I remember, he had a quote. This is his quote: Jimbo is pulling recruits out of Louisiana to make it easier to flip them when he goes to LSU." Oh. And I think that's in regards to that running back, Levy on Moss. Out of Baton Rouge that we just got this morning. She's he's a pretty good running back, I think. Um, LSU, Alabama, us—we are all fighting for him. Yeah.
1: Why? Well, why? This <laughs> begs the question. Why would he? Anyway, how, how many times do you see a recruit flip when when the coach leaves from one one place to another?
0: Yeah, not not very often, and. I mean, he's absolutely right. You would have to be pretty dumb to go over there when you're building something here. And LSU is not going to give him the type of um, budget to hire coaches, which I've heard that Mike Elko's salary might get us like three million dollars. Which wasn't Kevin Sumlin four million when he first got here?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It's hard to keep track. It just seems like it's gotten out of hand. <laughs> increased so greatly recently but i but I yeah, I mean
0: I think Elko's
1: absolutely worth it. I mean he's uh yeah, his defense has been been great So,
0: um, and then one of this will be the last thing I'd say about Jimbo's press conference he said, um one of the most disappointing things of the game is just that we're not living up to our potential, which I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and I think he,
1: he made another comment that he's got to do better. Uh, I think he said something about, you know, getting them there, but I, I think he has also got to do better about putting them in a position to succeed with some, you know, play calls that, that you know, feed off of their strengths.
0: Yeah, and I know for me, when it comes to my profession being a vet, um, I, I try to demand that out of my staff, too. It's like, okay, that's fine if your ceiling is here. But as long as you're hitting that ceiling and or just doing everything possible to reach your potential, I'm perfectly fine with that. If your skills or your knowledge can't get past that level, as long as you're trying, that's perfectly fine. Um But that is the stuff that just kills me. Um I'm sure you probably never have to worry about that with grown men, engineers at your work.
1: Well, I don't know I'm not sure why you're you're discriminating against women. there are women engineers too we but uh <laughs> no we have we we have a similar concept um or at least I tried to you know get get uh the team to uh elevate their game essentially and when the bar then gets set here um we're gonna raise that bar a little bit more, so they've gotta constantly striving to get better um
0: Talking about um, women being engineers, what is the ratio of men to women? It's got to be like uh, 30 to 1. 30 to 1? No, it's not quite 30 to 1. Uh, it's probably about maybe 7 or 8% women. That's so crazy. So in vet school, in my class, we had 130 people and 25 were guys, 105 girls. And um, I learned more about women in that four years than I ever wanted to know. Yeah, I've never had that opportunity. <laughs> Don't be envious. Um I, I told my wife, who we were still dating, so we got engaged after my second year. Um, I told her, I said, if I didn't have you, I don't think I would have uh, gotten married. I'd just, I'd be like the crazy cat lady, but with uh, golden retrievers come visit me. I'd be in the front yard with a lawn chair and beverage and 20 golden retrievers just running around. Sounds about <laughs> right. I can see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eating my, uh, my dairy queen blizzard.
1: Extra Butterfinger, right?
0: Exactly. Which, talking about, uh, Dairy Queen, after a loss like this, you almost have to do something just to kind of, um, treat your wounds. And for me, I always go straight to sugar, ice cream, little Debbie's, um, not gonna drink a Mountain Dew at 10.30 at night, but, um, what do you do? Do you just sit there and grin and bear it? Or do you? Yeah, I guess I haven't,
1: uh, I haven't noticed a pattern of uh, guilty pleasures in a in a time like that, so I I didn't <laughs> get anything on Saturday. That's for sure.
0: So to kind of go into another random topic um, before we talk about some of the other games that weekend, um, one of the things watching the game in real time, is watching the commercials and. I am not a fan of these autonomous driving vehicles. Does that look like something that you would enjoy having one of those or I mean what are your thoughts?
1: Uh my thoughts on that are you know I don't have an issue with it I think the uh um the point when I when I feel that uh it would be safe for me to to get in or for me to trust is when all of them are autonomous but I'm not going to get in an autonomous car when there's still yahoos next to me that can do, you know, God knows what, and uh, your autonomous car can't <laughs> predict that. When they all drive in a very well-conditioned um, manner and very predictable, then, then I think it works out. But when you got wild and crazy people mixed with computers, it's probably not going to turn out so well.
0: What is the deal with, um, don't they only work on Certain roads or highways right now isn't that the deal?
1: Uh, no, I think they can work on anything. I, you know, I think the only one that has a, you know, somewhat legitimate system is in the the, the Teslas. But uh, they can work on anything, but they obviously have their limitations, as you've seen in, you know, some of the accidents.
0: For me, you know, I drive like a madman. If I'm not doing 100 miles an hour, I'm not happy. And, uh, to take that experience out of the whole driving experience, that would just be sad. Yeah, I Drive mean, the yeah, there, there'll there be
1: some of that. And and that's what I'm saying. Like, until, you know, everybody's, uh, giving it up to the computer, I don't think you can make the autonomy thing quite work out. It's just too
0: unpredictable. I, so our Yukon, it's, uh, less... Old, out of our vehicles the newest i guess would be another way to say that um it's a 2017 and i i cannot stand all the safety features on there does does y'all's car have that deal where when you park and it senses that there's something in the back seat that tells you to look in your back seat
1: no so the wife's car is a 2014 so that was way way before this newfangled stuff came out, so it doesn't have any of those features like that.
0: These accoutrements. And yes. one of the things I hate, too, so I'm big on changing lanes. I do not want to be in the slow lane. Um, and the Yukon does There's not like it if I'm approaching somebody and getting pretty close so that I can have just enough space to get in between the car in front of me and the one to the side of me as I'm trying to pass quickly. And the Yukon does everything it can to slam on the brakes, throw up these red alerts onto the windshield because it's got that um, heads-up display. And it's, it's pretty terrifying, especially when I'm trying to gun it, get over in front of the other person, and it's hitting the brakes. To me, that's more dangerous.
1: So you haven't turned off all those features like you did in your truck with the, uh, the, uh, seatbelt. Seat yeah.
0: <laughs> did you ever turn that off in your truck?
1: Oh, I just remember in college when you were turning that off in your truck and you were in there for like two hours trying to go through whatever procedure they told you you had to do to get it to turn off.
0: That was so difficult because you had to like turn the key halfway, don't start the engine, uh, hit your, hazard lights and then turn the key off and then back into the half position and buckle and unbuckle your seatbelt like thirty seven times and then flash your brights and then do something else um put it in reverse and then it would it would work. It was something ridiculous. I'm sure in vehicles today they don't even have that option. Yeah,
1: I just remember we were like, what is he doing out there?
0: do um, do y'all have any autonomous driving helicopters at your uh, place Mm. of business
1: in fact we do
0: (laughs) do you really Mm -hmm. is it autonomous completely autonomous or is it just whenever you get to cruising or is it you can have a pilot on the ground controlling it like a remote Helicopter?
1: I mean they can't they can be fully autonomous, but at this point they usually have a uh, a pilot in command
0: um on the ground. Okay. I'll tell you what, it's only gonna take one um one bad accident for that to not be a thing anymore, I would suspect.
1: Well, I mean they already kind of did have one bad accident, so the seven thirty seven um what are they called? the uh, seven thirty seven Max? Um, that was basically a, I mean, it was an augmented, uh, flight mode. So it wasn't like fully autonomous, but it's the same sort of concept where the computer was, uh, doing something as opposed to the pilot and the pilot couldn't overcome it. Um, and that obviously killed a bunch of people and grounded the fleet for a year and a half. So yes, that that is set a precedent for, uh, the FAA to not like, uh, smart systems. (laughs)
0: golly i i understand how the pilot it well not the death part but <clears throat> trying to fight against the system against the computer um it's just dangerous
1: yeah but you know talking to your father-in-law at one of your daughter's <laughs> birthday parties uh he was saying that that you know those accidents would never happen in the in in the u.s because of the training but also Typically, the U.S. pilots uh, grow up with some sort of mechanical inclination um, where they can think through the problem and try to figure out what's going on and understand what the system's doing. Um, Where if you just get somebody that has no experience with that and can't put two and two together, they don't know what to do.
0: You know, there is that um, situation with that flight on a 747 out of Honolulu or a Wahoo, something like that. But anyway, uh, he could tell you exactly what the deal was, but there were these latches on the 747. Mm -hmm. The cargo door? Yes. Pan Am told United when they got those planes, they said, if you will just disable the breaker that goes to those so there's no more power that can go to it, they'll stay locked. Well, United said, we know what we're doing. We're gonna leave power to it. Um, it'll stay locked and lo and behold, it did not. And some pictures of what that plane looked like by the end. Yeah. Yeah. You could have, you could have driven a Mack truck through that hole that sucked, you could it sucked like nine people out, out of that hole as they were flying. But talking about, um, the pilot, there was actually certain things that he was supposed to do. Once that happened, that were in the manual, and he went against it, and people have said now, um, you know, engineers who looked at the whole situation, they said if he did what the manual said, he would have just taken it straight into the ocean. Whereas him, just knowing how things felt right, um, he, he did a better job than what the, the manual said to do, and did a better job than what the autopilot would do, too. So in my mind, I don't think you're ever going to be able to replace humans' abilities to perceive what's going on, change, and to think in a split second. Um, I don't think computers are ever going to be able to take that over. And from my perspective, seeing a patient, examining them with my hands, um, and then, you know, doing surgery or other things with medication. Um, I think that's going to be pretty darn difficult for a computer to do that.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to put it past it because, uh, technology advances quite quickly. Uh, but I think it will take a long time before people, uh, are comfortable with, uh, nobody sitting up there in the, in the pilot seat.
0: <laughs> yeah. It'd be pretty scary, that's for sure. Um, I guess I guess 9-11 would be something that you wouldn't have to worry about if uh, there's nobody in the cockpit to take over.
1: Well, <laughs> it's a different risk now. Now you're talking about someone hacking into the system and being able to control it without actually taking their lives, so they wouldn't be suicide attackers. That's they true. Be, you know, yeah. some far off land controlling them. So, yeah, cybersecurity is a uh, big deal with any of these uh, systems.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so now that we've taken my, uh, detour for this episode. <laughs> sorry, I think of these random things and that's talk about it. But, um, so I talked about if we beat LSU and we win our bowl game, we can be 10 and 3. Um, are you going to be happy with that kind of an outcome? considering that we have a backup quarterback, three true freshmen that are starting, and a redshirt freshman, Edron Cooper, who's uh, basically starting. I mean, I, I don't think I will be just because of the way we lost to the Mississippi schools.
1: Yeah, I think if you were to ask me that question at the beginning of the year, I, I think we would both agree that we would be, yeah, that's that's a pretty good season. But having gone through the season and known, the losses and uh, how they, you know, came about. I I think it still leaves a, you know, pretty sour taste in your mouth.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, So I went back and looked. One of those last seasons with Sherman, we did actually beat uh, UT. We beat UT, Texas Tech, OU, and Nebraska, who was ranked in the top 10. So we did have a year where we did that, but I think we still went nine and three, maybe. Uh, we lost to Missouri and some other not so great schools. But, um, yeah, it's funny to tell yourself if you can beat those big three. You should, uh, be in the Big 12 or SEC championship, but, um, not always. Yep. And I was going to ask too, so does it help ease the pain if LSU and the Longhorns are not all eligible by the end of this year? Um, well, I, I
1: mean, I could say that the Longhorns losing to uh, Kansas on Saturday did help ease the pains <laughs> from Saturday. Um,
0: that was insane. I I thought after they tied the game up at the end, I thought, ah, oh, Texas is... They're getting momentum. They're they're going to pull this out. Um, but it was in Austin too. Yeah, I, I,
1: <laughs> there there was really no excuse for Kansas winning that game. I mean, <laughs> they're they were one and eight before the game. They hadn't won a Big Twelve game and since like 2018, um, they'd never won at Austin. And I had yeah, forgotten. That. I think we talked about it a couple podcasts ago. I thought Les Miles was still coaching, but then I remembered, no, he got Me too so he was
0: out. And I don't even know who this new guy is. Some um, Division 2. He, he got Me too Yeah. Was that during some,
1: this year? Uh, I I think it was last year, maybe, but it, it all went back to his time at LSU. Oh, gosh. Yeah. See, there's <laughs> been
0: shenanigans at LSU for a long time now.
1: Yeah, but apparently LSU doesn't mind because their current head coach can do whatever with the uh, no issue.
0: <laughs> Get. go have pool parties, hot tub parties, and eds girls in college. I guess if they're over eighteen, then it's okay.
1: Hey, maybe Jeff Banks will be their new head coach. He seems to be on on that uh, on that train too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. He can um, he can
1: bring the pole assassin with him.
0: Yeah, that that was definitely good for a good laugh. Um, Golly, LSU or or UT losing. I would think that the recruits would be watching that and saying to themselves, they can't even fill up more than a third of their stadium in Austin. And and they're still losing.
1: I don't know. Do you like Kansas? You may have some that look at that, but you may have some of the elites that come in there and think, look, I'm going to get playing time year one. Look how terrible they are. I can come in and make an impact year one. I, I think that's the tough part of recruiting. After you've had a couple good classes of recruiting, you're stopped. How is it that you're able to, you know, bring in a new, um, class when they're going to be fighting with, you know, people that have experience and are also the best person in their class, uh, two years before. So it does become a challenge, but, um, Obviously, there have been some programs that have been able to do it successfully. So,
0: you know, one of the other things that made me feel a little bit better on Saturday when I stopped to think about it is, um, OU, LSU, and UT all lost last weekend in addition to us. And thinking about those three schools, they're kind of, you know, right around us in terms of recruiting Austin to the West, LSU to the East. And OU to the north. So I guess that probably helped us stay neck and neck with some of those recruits that are looking at those other three schools. But, um, I think that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, so talking about, uh, the, this could be a weird season if we beat LSU or we beat LSU, Bama, Auburn, the big three. Um, but we fell to the two Mississippis and Arkansas. I was looking it up. As far as our defense goes, we are number two in the SEC behind Georgia. We allow 16.1 points a game. Georgia allows 7.6, and Bama is third at 18.2 points a game. So you would think if your defense is holding people to basically two touchdowns, you should be winning. Yep. And then I think that's about all I have on the A and m in this game, but um yeah, that's the battered Aggie syndrome, which I'll be real honest with you, it was pretty painful to sit there and go through <laughs> go through all this stuff. I thought it would be maybe a little bit more cathartic and um, helpful, but no not at all. Um one other thing I was gonna mention, did you see the Florida and Sanford score?
1: Yeah, so I wasn't watching it, but, uh, yeah, I did see some scores on my phone, and, uh, um, yeah, wow. I, I mean, the points that Sanford scored in the, in the first half was unbelievable. Um,
0: 70 to 52 was the final score, which Florida won it. They looked like they were going to go down for a long time. But
1: you don't win anything when Sanford scores, uh, 52 points against you. There's really no
0: excuse for that. I was sitting there wondering, is Dan Mullen going to be fired after this game? And I, I think, I think if he lost, he probably would. Yeah, I, it's just crazy
1: to think that last year they thought they were going to the <laughs> CFP, to this year they're ready to fire him. Mean, that's a, that's a, uh, <laughs> a large swing in emotions there.
0: Pretty big turnaround. Um, yeah. Which I'll tell you what, Saturday was the day football. Did you watch the um, Georgia Tennessee game at two thirty?
1: No, we had uh, we had all sorts of things going on on Saturday. So <laughs> you
0: yeah, know, three kids. I guess you'll have events all the time. Um, did you get to see any highlights of the Georgia Tennessee game? You've got to go look up those Tennessee jerseys. They were basically all black with um, orange numbers. So it was definitely their Halloween jerseys just a couple weeks late yeah i did see their i mean their uniforms and that game so i watched a good part of it it was actually closer than i thought it would have been in the early going that quarterback tennessee hendon hooker if he was healthy against Ole miss i think tennessee would have beat them
1: yeah i mean that was a close game against Ole miss so
0: yeah yeah and talking about mullets um As they were showing the crowd in Tennessee, there was quite a few guys that had mullets. (laughs) I thought, that's probably a trend that never left that place. It's not surprising. And talking about Georgia, if you're Kirby Smart, are you going to stick with Stetson Bennett, who the rest of the team really likes, Um, who they play hard for, but he's obviously not that talented? He's a good runner. He can throw pretty good balls, but would you stick with him or would you go to JT Daniels, who's the you know five-star recruit out of California?
1: Yeah, so I was I was actually thinking that situation we were talking Calzada and Haynes King earlier. Like we're probably going to be in a very similar situation where you've got someone who had to come in when someone else is hurt and played okay. Um, you know, in their case, you know they don't need the quarterback to play. Superb because their defense uh, scores more points than they give up, so
0: you almost don't even need an offense. Um, <laughs> Just have a bunch of running backs back there running a wildcat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, they could probably get away with it. Um, I mean, Alabama was that way uh, before where, you know, they were getting so many defensive yeah. touchdowns that you didn't even need the offense. But uh, so, yeah, oh, anyway, yeah. I was. Thinking of that situation when we were talking about uh, our situation, and uh, I think it is a uh, a tough call. Um, but uh, I think he's got to be careful with how he treats that, because as we've seen, what someone did with his uh, his two quarterbacks, you can run somebody away, and that quickly turn into running two away, uh, similar <laughs> with what Riley is uh, doing up there at OU.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So did. Did you watch the um, Big Ten matchup? It was the marquee matchup with Michigan and Penn State. Probably not at Hell Jersey on Saturday. No, I didn't get to see very much of that. I was thinking both teams looked pretty bad, but it was too bad Michigan couldn't get their second loss of the year. And it was in Happy Valley. And they had um, obviously quite a few uh, fans there. And I wanted to look up their stadium sizes, and I wanted to read you the top 10 in terms of size. Um, number one is Michigan with 107,601 seats. Number two is Penn State with 106,500, basically. Number three is Ohio State, 102,780. Uh, and then we're number four with 102,733 Tennessee's 5, with 102, 5, basically. LSU's 6, with 102,000. Bama's 7, with 101,000. And then the Longhorns are 8, 95,594. Georgia's number 9, 92,000. And Florida is number 10, with 88,500. Which, I was kind of surprised that we don't have uh more SEC teams in there. Which, I guess that's what, one two three. Four, five, six. I guess when the Longhorns get there, it'll be
1: seven. So I guess we do have quite a few. Yeah, but I, I mean, uh, some of the, you know, some of the schools are in the SEC are a little bit smaller. I mean, the Mississippi schools are pretty small, so their stadiums are, um, I think, around like, 60, maybe 50, yeah. 60. Um Then you got the Vanderbilt, which. Uh,
0: they have like forty thousand, I
1: think. Yeah, and I think Missouri is probably you know somewhere similar. Um, South they Carolina's are... probably similar to Ole Miss and Mississippi State.
0: Actually, I think they have like eighty-five thousand on their capacity. South Carolina. Does. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it's
1: have... probably a bigger.
0: Yeah, and then I I started looking into um, university sizes because. Obviously Michigan, Penn State and Ohio State have to have quite a few students on campus. But um do you know who the number one university is in terms of uh students enrolled? It's probably Michigan. Actually it is the University of Central Florida in Orlando with almost seventy two thousand. Really? Which I've oh. heard that's kind of a commuter school, kinda of like UTA, but um A and M is number two with 71,109 and then Ohio State's number 3 with 61,369 Florida was number 5 with 57,841 and then the Longhorns the Longhorns are number 10 with almost 52,000 72,000 yeah isn't that insane that's insane
1: I guess it makes sense with what we saw when we were there, though, that it just keeps expanding to the uh, south.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Eventually,
1: we'll be able to call Houston part of uh, College Station.
0: Oh, I know. Uh, my father in law, he drove down to Houston. I think he was selling some guns or something. And um, he said basically from Navasota to Houston, it's like it's just solid in terms of development and everything being built up. You don't feel like you're out in the country at all anymore. Yeah. Which is just insane. I remember one of my good friends in vet school, he was from Cyfair, or Cyprus or something. They're northwest Houston. And it was maybe forty five minutes from A and M. But um I'm sure all that stuff out there in the Cyprus, Cyfair just keeps growing northwest. They're gonna be touching college station before they know it. Mm-hmm. And then the last game I wanted to comment on was OU and Baylor. Um, how did you feel about that game? You, you know, it was
1: coming eventually with OU because they had not been playing very well. Um, I did think that when they, you know, switched quarterback that that, that seemed to fix some things, but, uh.
0: Switch back to Spencer Rattler?
1: No, switch to, um.
0: Caleb Williams?
1: Caleb Williams. Um, that 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 appeared to fix some things, but uh that was not the case on, on Saturday. Um Caleb Williams didn't look any good and then they switched to Rattler. He also didn't look any good. Um
0: But and, you must uh, start calling must start calling Lincoln Riley Lincoln Sumlin Riley. <laughs> <laughs> Let's switch to those quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you he's he's floating with disaster because uh you know, I think they were already assuming that Rattler was going to, you know, transfer and, um, I don't know. you know, now with doing the same thing, Cape Williams, maybe he doesn't feel like he's, uh, he's got a firm footing. So maybe he, he's looking at transferring and, you know, it could just spiral out of control quickly. So,
0: it's um, funny. I said, um, after Baylor won, I said the milk and cookies are going to be flowing on Waco, Texas tonight. Yeah. Well, it's a Baptist
1: school. Yeah, it's probably about, you know, half real Baptist and then half just...
0: Students. students. Just regular.
1: Yeah, regular students. So, yes, half of the campus will be flowing milk and and cookies. The other will be regular college uh, (laughs) activities.
0: Do you remember going to um, Lubbock? Wasn't Lubbock a dry town or something, and you had to go outside of Lubbock to buy Mm -hmm. adult beverages.
1: Out to the strip?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, they acted like that was the biggest deal whenever we were there. (laughs) Had to to go get some uh, refreshment. (laughs) Um, One of the things that OU-Baylor game, Dave Aranda, the Baylor coach, he said something at the end when they interviewed him about like a 10-plus point rule for a tiebreaker in the Big 12. So does that mean if well, OU loses to Iowa State or Oklahoma State, have two losses and Baylor wins out, then Baylor owns the tiebreaker, but only because they beat them by more than 10 points? Is that right?
1: I don't think it's 10 points. I think it's just a point differential is the is the third tiebreaker in the Big 12. So Dave Miranda was basically saying, hey, I got a chance to kick a field goal and increase my you know point differential, then I'm going to do that. And I think he had all rights to because, again, he was going to kick a field goal um, and then the OU team jumped off sides, which gave them the first down. So everybody just assumed they were going to kneel on the ball two times and and call it a day. But uh, Dave Aranda's like, no, I'm still going to get my field goal. And, uh, yeah, I (laughs) – I would say it was kind of messed up that he called a timeout with one second left, and clearly the student <laughs> body wasn't paying attention uh, to that <clears throat> and scoring the field. Uh, yeah. And then obviously, Lincoln Riley got upset that he had to bring players back out to um, defend the field goal and potentially get mobbed by the, the students again. But uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, uh, that was so crazy. I mean, I never in a million years thought that Baylor would have won by as much as they did, but um, they had the ball for over 35 minutes. OU only had it for 25 minutes. So I guess it just goes to show if you can run the ball and Baylor had almost 300 yards rushing and OU had 78. If you can run the ball, even though it's 2021, um, you're going to probably win most of those games. Yeah. And then let me look through my notes here. So one of the things I was going to ask so Auburn and Mississippi State, um, I think Auburn was down by 15 or something. And they scored a touchdown. And rather than kick the extra point, they went for two. So they didn't get it. So now they're down by nine. So they need two scores. Why would you not kick the extra point there and then try to get the two-point conversion at the very end rather than just... Getting rid of all your chances right there at that first touchdown.
1: Because they were wanting to know whether they were it was still gonna be a two point a two score game or whether they could get it to a one score game. Because that would tell them how they had to manage the clock for the rest of the game.
0: That's interesting. I didn't think about that.
1: Now I don't know how much time was left. Maybe it didn't matter, but that's usually what, you know, you, you want to know whether you have to score twice or
0: just once. So it's probably like five and a half, six minutes, something like
1: that. Yeah, so it probably um, told them whether they need to, you know, do an onside kick and get two scores or they can, you know, kick it and play defense and get the ball back and then uh just have one score
0: to tie it back up. I had no idea. But obviously um, it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So as far as our uh, game this weekend against Prairie View A and M, um, I have a feeling we're gonna win that.
1: Well, yeah, my hope is that uh, that Jimbo hasn't amped up like uh, the Cowboys did, where after they got you know beat up by the Broncos and they just come out and annihilate the Falcons. That's what I'm hoping uh, happens here. Yeah, that
0: was such just, a crazy game.
1: He just shows the league that yeah, no, we're we're still okay. That's my hope, but I don't think that's actually going to happen. But uh, yeah,
0: no, and then I mean LSU, that's going to be pretty pretty big game, because they're 4-6 and right now, whenever we come to town. The night game in Death Valley, um, they're going to be hard to beat.
1: I I don't feel good about that game, so when we talked a couple weeks ago, I was saying 2-2, and and I'm going to stick by that, so we'll be Prairie Viewing, and then we'll end up losing to LSU.
0: I'm still going to say 3-1. and I'm going to be an optimist.
1: I've got more more battered Aggie in me than, than you do,
0: apparently. (laughs) Yeah, probably right. Well, um, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Uh, Obviously, I don't really know how to work Zoom very well. This is our first Zoom uh, podcast. But, um, okay, I am going to stop recording.